The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. If you need a Bible, you are welcome to those. Exodus chapter 3, please. J.B. Phillips once wrote a book entitled, Your God is Too Small. We are studying the book of Exodus that that would not be said of us that our God in our hearts and our minds would never, ever be too small, for he is great and grand and glorious. And so let us pray that we would see more of him in his word. Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts to behold more and more of your greatness and your glory, our great God. Capture our attention even now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please follow along with Nick as he reads, beginning in verse 15. A reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 15 through chapter 4, verse 17. Let us hear the word of the Lord. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand. So 
So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back into your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Blessed be the reading of the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nick. Ever noticed how certain names have immediate associations? In the political realm, the name Kennedy immediately comes to mind and, and brings to mind the political dynasty of the Kennedys. In the sports world, the name Jordan brings to mind the basketball great Michael Jordan, or in San Diego, the name Gwyn makes San Diego Padre fans think of the great hitter Tony Gwynn. Or in the, in the business world, today the names Musk and, and Bezos call to mind their amazing entrepreneurial success. Names bring certain associations. And that's how it is in the Bible. Names reveal things about people. They should bring very real associations for us. Names in Scripture reveal the, the person or the character, what they're really like. So when God assigns himself a name, when God reveals a certain name for himself, we should pay attention. When God gives himself a name, as he does in this passage, we need to ask, what is God revealing about himself? What does God want us to see about him? And how should we respond? And here we find, as God reveals his name, we find two particular qualities, you might say, about him. 
two vital associations that we want to have come to mind when it comes to God's name. Here's the first association. Our God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his promises. We're picking up in the conversation between God and Moses at the burning bush. Moses just said, who am I that I should leave the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, Moses. I will be with you. Remember that. Then Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? And God answers, I am who I am. I am who I am. I am the eternal one, the self-existent one. No beginning and no ending, no needs, no deficiencies. I am is sending you. And now that God says, that's basically my name. Verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, or Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you, sent me to you. This is my name, he says. This is who I am. Here's my character. I'm revealing myself to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You might notice Lord in your Bible in small caps, signifying the divine name. We think it was pronounced Yahweh from the verb to be. The great I am, the eternal one says, that, that's my name. It's what I'm really like. So, so what do we learn about him here? Well, we're given a couple of clues. Notice the repetition of being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says it in verse 15. It comes up again in verse 16. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, the God of your fathers. Here it is again. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And then notice another clue, a promise of a land, verse 17. And I promise, God says, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to, notice, to the land, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Notice, a land flowing with milk and honey. We call that the promised land, right? So you've got this emphasis on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this promise of a land. God says, I'm giving you my name. So what should be the connection for us? Well, that divine name should trigger associations with a covenant God made. Some solemn promises God made way back in Genesis 15, when God promised to Abraham a few things, including, Abraham, I'm going to give you all a land, a promised land. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a people and Abraham, through you, will come blessing to all peoples of the earth. A land, a people, a blessing to all peoples. That's God's covenant there, his solemn promise to Abraham. In fact, promises that draw on an even earlier promise in Genesis 
three. When Adam and Eve plunge the human race into sin and God promises a redeemer, one will come to crush the tempter's head. So realize this, friends, from Genesis 3 onwards in your Bible is one great overarching covenant of grace. I want us to realize that from this series in Exodus. From Genesis 3 onwards is one great overarching covenant of God's grace. It takes different forms at times. We're going to see God's covenant through Moses involving the law. We're going to not see, but later on, if you read ahead, you'd see God's covenant with David promising a king. Later on, a promised new covenant culminating in Christ. So different aspects unfolding over time, but one great overarching covenant of grace from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. And I say all that for two reasons. That you would see the unity of your Bible. That you would put together the unity of your Bible under that one overarching covenant of grace and that you would see yourself standing in the stream of what's happening in the book of Exodus, that you'd make a connection with what's happening here and God's sure promises. The promise of a land is ultimately fulfilled in a heavenly promised land to which we're heading. The promise of a people is ultimately fulfilled by God's multiracial, multinational people, the body of Christ in that heavenly promised land. And all because the blessing to the nation has come, Jesus. So Yahweh is God's covenant name. And here we find he's going to be faithful to those promises he made. Promises he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, he is now remembering. He is now acting upon those. Notice, notice the I will statements in the verses to come. Verse 18, God says, And they, the elders, will listen. They will listen to your voice, Moses. They will listen favorably, God promises. Verse 19, I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he, Pharaoh, will let you go. God promises he will be victorious over Pharaoh. Verse 21, not only that, it says, I will, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. He says, you shall not go out empty. You will plunder the Egyptians. They're going to give you their stuff so that you leave. And don't go away empty-handed. That's his promise. Yahweh is this covenant-making God who is here saying, I'm going to be faithful to my solemn promises. But that raises a question. The question I want to focus on. How will this come to pass? What, God, what means will God use to bring to pass his solemn promise? I mean, is it contingent on us? Can we blow up this plan? 
Can anything hinder God in being faithful to his promises? Well, the second thing we find here about God as he reveals his name, who he is, is this. Our God is sufficient for our weakness. He is faithful to his promises, and then we find he is sufficient. He is sufficient for our weaknesses. Moses responds to these sure promises with great faith. No, he responds with three objections. Notice verse 1, objection number 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe or listen to my voice. God just said earlier, they will listen to you. Moses says, no, they won't. It's like you weren't paying attention in class, Moses. And yet God graciously offers three signs to authenticate Moses. He said, I'm, I'm going to use your staff, your shepherd's crook you've been carrying around, throw it down, comes a snake, a symbol of Egyptian royalty, showing God's authority over Egyptian power. Secondly, turns Moses' hand leprous and then heals it, showing God's authority over disease and healing. Third, God takes water of the Nile, turns it to blood. The Nile was a source of life in Egypt. Now it's symbolizing death, showing God's authority over life and death. So objection answered, Moses. I give you one, not two, not one, not two, but three signs authenticating you. But Moses still has problems with God's plan to use him. Objection number two in verse 10. Look down to verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, to Yahweh, the great I am. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. This is the I'm not able objection. I don't have the abilities required to carry out your plan. So notice God's response in verse 11. Then Yahweh, the Lord, said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, Yahweh, this covenant-making, covenant-keeping God? Is it not I, he said? Now therefore go, and I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God says, I created the mouth. I can make your mouth work, Moses, and I am with you like I promised. In effect, isn't God saying, in effect, Moses, you are exactly how I need you to be for what I've called you to do. Don't we need to hear that? We like to say, I'm not good at fill in the blank. So God could never use me in fill in the blank. You might hear Michael sharing about reaching out to a friend, going on walks. You might say, I, I could never do that. I'm not good at blank outreach. So God could never use me in outreach. God says here, I'm the creator and I'm with you. You're exactly who I need you to be for what I've called you to do. I once heard John Bettler, who used to lead the 
Christian Counseling and Education Foundation say of himself, he said, I am an introvert with an extrovert's calling. I heard that and I said, I think he just described Tab Trainer as well. I can so relate to that. I, I think I am a, a natural introvert. And I think I'm supposed to do rather extroverted things like right now. And I don't like that about me. I don't like being an introverted person called to do extroverted things. I'd rather be an extrovert with extroverted callings. I need to hear this, and maybe you do too. You're exactly who God wants you to be for what he's called you to do. And he's with you. But Moses is not convinced. So a third objection, verse 13, third objection. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And this is respectful, but he's not using the divine name here. It's like, please, sir, send somebody else. I don't want to. Maybe we can relate to that as well. And this is serious. Notice God's response in verse 14. Then the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Moses. So, so there is some sin on Moses' part here. This is sinful obstinance or sinful unbelief. And yet, yet God responds with mercy and provision. Okay, your brother Aaron can speak for you instead. Doesn't Moses express the kinds of doubts and fears that we can have ourselves? It's not going to work, God. I'm not able, God. Or, I just don't want to, God. But each time, friends, each time, God's sufficiency is more than enough for Moses's insufficiency. That's what I want you to see. Each time God's all-sufficiency, his power, his presence, his all-sufficiency is more than adequate for Moses's inadequacy and weakness and frailty and failure. This is Yahweh. That's how he reveals himself. This is his name, faithful God that he is. So what do we learn about him here? We learn that God will be faithful to his promises because in this passage, he is sufficient for our weakness. Here's, I think, the specific thing we learn about God in this section. He will be faithful to his promises for he is sufficient for our weakness, our failures, our inadequacy. So, how do we respond? Well, I think the response should be twofold. Believe and rely. First, believe that he will be faithful. 
Believe he'll be faithful to his promises. Take him at his word. Take them to the bank. Israel in this day, traveling to the wilderness, facing the daunting task of entering the promised land, they had to believe that God would indeed be faithful to his promises of that land flowing with milk and honey. We must respond in a similar way. Believe that God will get you to that heavenly promised land with that multi-ethnic, multinational people because the Savior has come. We have even more reason to believe than Israel did in this day. Do you know those, those patterns you use in sewing or making an, a, a garment of some kind? I'm not a seamstress, but I've seen others where you lay out a pattern on a piece of fabric and then you, you cut along the contours of that pattern and you do so to then have this perfectly shaped fabric to form a garment. You know what I'm talking about, right? Somebody shake their head, yes, tap even though you inadequately explain that. Use a pattern to shape the fabric to make a garment. What we're seeing here is a kind of pattern to create a garment that perfectly fits Jesus Christ. Jesus wears this garment perfectly. Moses encounters the great I am in Exodus 3 and 4. And in John chapter 8, Jesus Christ said to his detractors, Before Abraham was, I am. What's he saying? I am Yahweh, come in the flesh. I am Yahweh, join in humanity, invading human history. And being faithful to his promises, he dies on a cross, rises from the grave, gives us a sign like he gave to Moses, the sign of the empty tomb. And then he said, Matthew 28, I am with you. Just like God says here. I am with you always to the end of the age. So the New Testament gives us the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. Yahweh saves. Yahweh has come in the flesh to save. If you're a believer in Jesus, the response is to believe that he will be faithful to his promises. He will get you to that heavenly land. He will get you there by his power and his grace in Christ. By grace alone, as we sang, you're going to get there. Believe him. Trust him to be faithful to his every promise in Christ. And if you've yet to turn to Christ, the call here is for you to believe as well, to acknowledge you've gone astray as we all have, and turn to Jesus, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God. And he will. So there's something here first to believe. God will be faithful to his promises. And then also to rely. Remember, God will be faithful to his promises because he is sufficient here for our weaknesses. Believe and, and rely. Or you might even say, boast in those weaknesses. The Apostle Paul 
had what he called a thorn in the flesh, some physical ailment, and he pleaded with Jesus to take it away. Instead, he heard from Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So the apostle responds, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. I think that's a crazy verse. I will boast in my weaknesses. We don't do that, do we? We boast in our weaknesses? No, we hide them to project strength. I was at this preaching workshop week before last with Rick, and I, I had to go a day early because I was helping out in some way. And I had to present a worksheet on a particular passage we were studying. I had to present a worksheet to a couple of my preaching heroes and a number of other individuals. And so I worked very, very hard in this worksheet. It was going to be the perfect worksheet. The worksheet of all worksheets. They would ask me to autograph this worksheet, I'm sure. They would want to frame this worksheet and put it on their office wall and admire my worksheet forever. Clearly, my cravings for approval were controlling me, my love of recognition dominating me. So my dear wife said, Tab, before your little presentation, why don't you just acknowledge this struggle? Just acknowledge your weakness. And I said, that's a wonderful idea, honey. I can't wait to do so. No, I said, I'm fine, baby, I'm fine. I'm not struggling, honey, I'm fine. That's what we do with our weaknesses, right? I'm going to hide weakness, going to project strength. Doesn't God give us a principle here that says, flip the script. Flip the script here. Moses' objections are each met with divine sufficiency. I'm with you. My power is enough. My presence is enough. I'm, I'm with you. Not, not unlike what Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Shouldn't we then see our insufficiencies as a kind of stage for his all-sufficiency? Shouldn't we see our weaknesses, our inadequacies, maybe, friends, even our failures, as a stage for his faithfulness, power, presence, and all-sufficiency in Jesus, in light of his name, in light of how God reveals himself to be. Maybe, maybe you're a single adult saying, I cannot live a God-glorifying single life in this culture. There's too much pressure to conform. And God says here through this passage, you are weak, but I am not. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Believe and rely. Or you're a teenager, a young person, and you're saying, I can't follow Jesus in my school or my neighborhood. People will reject me. They'll think I'm not cool enough. And God says here through this passage, you're right. You're not up to the task, but I am. 
and I'm with you, with you, to empower you. I'm sufficient. Believe and rely. Or you're a parent who feels overwhelmed. You want to give up. You're saying this week, I can't, can't do this thing called parenting anymore. You're waving the white flag. And God says to this passage, you're right, you can't. But I can sustain you. I'm sufficient for your weakness, your failure, and I'm with you. Believe and rely. Or you're a married couple who feels stuck, maybe a pattern of sin somehow, and you're discouraged. Listen, friends, not even your sin, when repented of and taken to the cross, can derail his purposes in your life. Repent where needed, absolutely. And then rely on his all-sufficient power and presence. Believe and rely. Maybe reach out to others for help right here. Or you're a disciple facing your insufficiency in your studies, or your workplace, you're feeling overwhelmed at school, overwhelmed at work. You're saying, God, I'm not up to the task. And God would say, you're right, but I am. I'm sufficient. And I'm with you. Or the disciple like me who is aging, facing physical limitation. And that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. But even our physical weaknesses can be like what the Apostle Paul said, a place in which we boast that Christ's power may rest upon us. For he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power perfected in weakness. Friends, believe and rely. God will be faithful. Yahweh will be faithful to all his promises because he is sufficient for our weaknesses. And doesn't that include us as a church? Doesn't that include us as a church? Last week, we sent out good friends to new gospel ministry. A good day and a hard day. A good day and a hard day. So we might feel inadequate. And guess what? We are. Every church is. We have good company. Every church is inadequate, but our God is not. Realize our insufficiency cannot stop him from accomplishing his every purpose in our lives and through us as a church. Francis Schaeffer, once in a sermon, he referenced Moses' staff, which God promises to use as a sign here and will become more prominent at some scenes in the future in Exodus. Of Moses' staff, of Moses' staff, Schaeffer said, consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. God used a stick of wood, he said can be a banner 
a banner cry for each of us. For we are not less than a stick of wood. I like that. Here's a banner for us as a body and for each of us individually. God used a stick of wood and we are not less than a stick of wood. This God will be faithful to his promises because he is sufficient for our every weakness, friends. Let's turn to him in prayer and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Maybe this moment bring, bring to him where you feel weak, where you feel inadequate, where you identify with Moses' objections. God, it's not going to happen. God, I'm not able. I don't have the gifting needed. Or simply, God, I don't want to. And bring that to the Lord. Maybe even do what the Apostle Paul said. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses that Christ's power may rest upon me. And rely on him right now for exactly what you need. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this revelation of your name, our faithful covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who is so sufficient for us. Help us to look to you, trust in you, and rely on you right now, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.